Good morning. Glad you're all here today. It, uh, it's been one of those weeks. You know, I've, I've shared with a few people, most of you don't know what happened this week. Um, I vowed I'm never going to preach on James again. And the message that I want to share today is entitled, well, this week and next week, it's about the paradox of power. And this week, we're going to be talking about being totally inadequate. Now, on Thursday, and you'll, you'll get more of this as you get in, as we get into the message. You'll understand this a little more. But uh, Thursday, my wife and I were getting ready. To, she, had to, she was heading into work, um, and so I was going to take her into work and drop her off. And so we were getting re- rushing around, and, and I went to put something in the kitchen. I had my coat on, and I went to lean down to put something on a shelf. And when I did, I sneezed. Well, my back went out. And uh, so today I'm sporting a, a nice, uh, nice back brace. Uh, it, Thursday was a long day, and so thankfully it has gotten better over the, these three days. But uh, when, whenever you, I'm telling you, if you've ever shared the gospel or preached the word, and the Lord wants to bring you to the point where you are totally dependent on him, he will make a way. And we're going to be talking about that today. And I'm very thankful that uh, even, you know, last week somebody said, yeah, you're talking about running to 5K and doing this and that. And I said, yeah. Uh, And and the Lord brings us to to the reality that uh, life is fragile and frail. And so I want to ask you today as we are, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can begin to turn there if you you haven't or if you are, if I guess I haven't told you yet. So go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to ask you, have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt that point where you're like, I can't do this? I'm struggling. And, and yeah, all the time, sometimes it feels like that. And I want to read a blog. I was looking, I found a blog this week, a guy by the name of Jack. And maybe you can relate to him. Some of you may be able to, some of you may not. He says, hi, my name is Jack. I became a dad two months ago. Two months ago. Some of you are having kids You've had kids. Some of us have had kids and know what this is like. He says, and I feel totally inadequate. He says, all right, that's not entirely fair. I absolutely love my daughter. These past eight weeks have been some of the happiest of my life. Plus, my wife is a rock star. When she's around, I feel like we could have 11 more kids and be totally fine. Yes, yeah, you you can relate. He had kids, you know what he's talking about. But every now and then, the full weight of parenthood slowly presses down on my shoulders, and I'm responsible for a little human being. How in the world am I going to keep her well-fed or properly clothed or alive, for that matter? He says, then my mind creeps into the future. What about when she sneaks out of the house? She can't even sneak out of her crib yet. But what, what about when she asks me really hard questions. She can't even say no yet. What about when she likes boys? Her only friend right now is a stuffed fox. But maybe you're a parent and you know exactly what I'm going through. But even if you don't have kids, or maybe the kids are all grown, he says, I'm sure you're facing an overwhelming circumstance of of your own. Maybe a new job is stressing you out Maybe a large mortgage payment that is hanging over your head. Maybe a cherished relationship is in crisis. Whatever the case may be, all of us have come to that point where we feel inadequate. We feel weakness. We feel powerless. 
And I want to talk about that today through this, this idea of the paradox of power. One writer says, weaknesses and sufferings are looked down upon in our society today. We worship at the altar of self-sufficiency and self-made power and wealth. Our contemporary culture marches to the cadence of strength, power, prestige, and control. Yet the Apostle Paul knew a secret that, may, that many in today's society don't realize, that we are totally in and inadequate in and of ourselves. You see, as Paul notes in this second letter to the church in Corinth, and even here as we talk to each other and as I share with you in the 21st century church, the gospel does not ride on, the, on health and wealth and the idea of health and wealth, but on weakness. The Apostle Paul understood this idea of the paradox of power. And, and as we get into the study today and next week, maybe, maybe you don't understand what a paradox is. And, and I thought about having Bruce Lamb. Bruce, Bruce is a, a doctor, and I'm a doctor. And with the two of us up here, we would be, think about it, you'll get it, a pair of docs. But that's not exactly what it means. Actually, the paradox of power, if we, could, uh, if we could understand it, it's a paradox, is a truth embodied in a seemingly contradictory statement or a picture, like the, the one on the right there. How could one hand be drawing the other hand that's being drawn by the other hand? It violates common sense and confounds reason, Pat Williams wrote in his book. And, and maybe, again, when you think about this idea of the paradox of power, I think Paul recognized this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Paul saw that this week as we look at this, this study and look at how we're inadequate and next week how we're adequate, that the only hope that we have is that we realize that we are totally inadequate in and of ourselves, but in Jesus Christ we are adequate. But I don't want you to, uh, to be too discouraged to begin with. Because I want to share with you a few guys and gals. Really, I think it was the majority of them were men. In, and men, we need to take heart to this. In the uh, Old and New Testament. Let me give you some folks that were struggling with inadequacy. Think about Moses. Remember Moses? God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And he's like, oh, well, well I, 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 before you do, uh, I, I got a few problems with that idea. Well, ultimately, God used him, but he didn't use him to his fullest ability that he could have been. He did, but then he used Aaron as well. And so the excuses, the fear that Moses brought, he realized he was inadequate. How about the 10 spies when in Numbers chapter 13, when they went into the, into the, uh, into the land and, and they came back and Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. And they went, what? Are you kidding me? Fear and worry. Do you see how big those guys are? It's like when I stand next to Randy sometimes. I'm like, Randy, uh, how you doing? I, I, I understand the Israelites in a, in a place where there was fear and worry. Gideon. Gideon's one of my favorites. God uses Gideon so greatly in his fear and insecurity, hiding in a wine vat so he wouldn't be caught. Then there's Saul. Saul struggled with anger. Saul struggled with control in the situation. Saul was foolish at many times, the things that he did, and ultimately jealousy that took over 
and we see the result of Saul. The Israelites as well, when Goliath was wailing and screaming and taunting and challenging, as he said, come on out, who dares to come against me? And the Israelites shook in their armor with fear and worry and doubt that they could ever, who could take on this guy? Solomon, with all that he had, Solomon, I think, allowed really all of that to get in his way in a sense of pride and arrogance to think I could have everything that I could have, but at the end of life, what did he say? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four, when he said, looked around and he said, look at the, the, the kingdom I have created, and he ended up in the field as a, as a cow, basically, eating grass. His pride and his power brought him to his knees. Isaiah realized the worthlessness that he, as he stood in Isaiah chapter 6 and said, woe is me for him, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Even the disciples, when Jesus, in John chapter 6, said, we need to set these folks down and feed them. You give them something to eat. And they said, you get, what do you get? I, I got nothing. I got nothing. And some of them, well, maybe we could go into town and find food for 5,000. Inadequate helplessness. I think a, a lot of the text in the, both in the Old and the New Testament demonstrate to us people that struggle with the inferior, inferiority complex, the inadequate uh, aspect of life that we can't do it on our own. Well, as we come to Second Chapter or Second Corinthians Chapter Twelve, and we look at this book again, uh, just a quick review of Second Corinthians. Paul had been writing to this church around fifty-five to fifty-six A.D. He had been writing likely from Macedonia to the church, and they were continuing to struggle with the influence on society of society on their on their church, the influence of culture on their church. And I really think it's a lot like what we're struggling with today. Sometimes churches don't know what to do in this world that we live in. That's why when uh, Josh preaches coming up on the 21st on For the Life of the World, it's all about how we live in our culture today because I think we've lost our bearings. I think we've lost our moorings as to where to go and how to deal with life on the tough stuff. It used to be Jesus loves me, this I know. Now one song on the radio that says, I want to go back to to. Jesus loves me, this I know, because that was easy. It's not easy anymore. Really, it never has been. But as Paul keeps coming back to this idea, the same theme of weakness and suffering, God's going to use these vehicles of weakness and suffering for his power and his glory. So I want to start out by asking a question today in this study. Why did Paul struggle with inadequacy? And it may seem a little strange as we get going, but bear with me as we look at this passage. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and and read or follow along in your copy of the text, verses 1 through 6. It's doubtless not profitable for me, Paul says, to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and he's going to talk in the third person now. He's talking about himself, but he 
It is him. I know of man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God does know, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to even utter. Of such a one, I will boast, yet of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. You see, initially, Paul had received... This amazing revelation, 14 years earlier, Paul had been caught up into heaven. And and again, not certain as to what the, the actual revelation was. He doesn't reveal it to us here other than he saw this and he heard things that he couldn't even utter. Does that sound familiar? Remember when John was caught up into the heavens, into the third heaven, and he's trying to write things down? Just read the book of Revelation. When you see things that you, how do you describe what you've never seen before? Or what is beyond your comprehension? No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that you are about to be revealed when we get to glory. It's like, so Paul has seen this. He's been given this incredible revelation. But at the same time, Paul says, I I hesitate to boast. I, I don't want to. I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or or hears of me. Have you ever been in that place where you feel like, oh man, I just want to tell everybody about what God has done for me? But yet we hesitate too, because I don't want people to see me as something special. I'm not. I'm right there with you. I'm on the same plane as you. Pastor Dan, Pastor Josh, and myself, we struggle with the same things that you do. Sometimes it seems even worse. We have our own problems. We'll talk about that a little bit. But Paul said, I don't want people to look at me as like, wow, Paul was in the third heaven. He's special. No. He wanted them to see them, them to see him just as he was. And so Paul says, why I struggle is, is because I don't want people to see me in that light. Because the problem was I was given a thorn in my flesh. Paul had received an amazing revelation, but God humbled him. Look at this in verses 7 and 8. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to beat me, to buffet me, to knock me down, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. Look back at verse 7. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. It's interesting, in the Greek New Testament, this word, which is actually scallops, it almost sounds like cyclops, so if you can remember it better by calling it cyclops, call it a cyclops. But the Greek word is scallops. It's the thorn. It's the only place it is used in Scripture. Paul chose this word to describe this this 
problem, this pain, this ailment, this whatever it was, this weakness that he was struggling with. And, and many of us, I think, when you think of a thorn, you think of a, a rose thorn, or maybe you get a little bit bigger and you've seen locust trees, and locust trees have some pretty nice-sized thorns on them. But it's interesting to note that even though it means, this Greek word means anything with a sharp point, or, uh, and they call it a thorn, I think they're using it more of figurative, uh, figuratively to describe it as an intru- instrument producing pain or difficulty. It actually goes as far as to say it's like being impaled. That's, a, that's one big thorn. It, it takes the idea of, of being in pain to, to stop someone from progressing. Have you ever seen, if you've ever watched any of the old movies um, back um, years ago, I, I'm trying to think back to the Middle Ages, where they would try to stop horses from coming in. What would you, you know how they, they would put spears down and, and lean them forward so if the horses tried to jump over them, they'd, they'd be impaled on them. Same concept, same type of instrument. Not a tiny little thorn. Paul didn't have a little owie in his side, or for my case, a little owie in my back. He had something that was impeding him from being able to boast, and, and it was slowing him down. It was, it, he struggled with it. We're not sure what that thorn was. There are different indications. But whatever the case may be, I, I love how the Weymouth New Testament translates this passage. Look, look at it a little more closely. I think I put it up here. Yeah, I did. He says, by judging and by the stupendous grandeur of the revelations, therefore, lest I should be over elated, there has been sent to me like the agony of impalement. Satan's angel dealing blow after blow, lest I should be overrelated. So thinking about this, this idea of this agony of impalement, what was this thorn that Paul was struggling with? Well, n- many commentators have suggested a variety of issues and, and problems that could be. And it could be any of them. We really don't know. Some have, have suggested that it is someone who has opposed the gospel Paul had many people that stood against him when he tried to, uh, to present the gospel, to preach the gospel to other people. They tried to say that, that, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. You're in jail. How can you be faithful to even preach the gospel? And Paul said, you know what? If they're preaching it, even if they're against me, praise God. So some believe that this thorn could have been those that, that tried to oppose him from preaching the gospel. Others have suggested, even as some of the, um, some of the great commentators and, and the great theologians of the uh, 17th and 18th century, 19th century, have even gone as far as saying that it was maybe even a sexual or a spiritual temptation. Again, don't know, Paul didn't say, but when you read his writing, especially in Romans chapter 7, when he says, oh, the things I struggle with, I, I want to do and I don't do, but the things I don't want to do, I do them, that could be a wide variety of, of struggles. Temptations, difficulties. So whatever that case may be, again, I think it opens up this passage for us to cover all of us even in the 21st century today with all the difficulties and the temptations and the trials and the struggles and the things that we deal with. As well, I'm sure you've heard that some have mentioned that it could have been a physical disability or a weakness. There are some that believe that he could have had severe headaches like migraines. 
I can relate to that. I've struggled with those over the years, thankfully not recently, but um, they can be debilitating. Y'all can relate to that. Some have believed that it could have been an eye, eye issue. Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about with such with, with big letters that I try to write because he couldn't see very well. It could have been an issue with his eyes. Whatever the case may be, Paul had a thorn. Paul had a thorn that slowed him down, that, that, that humbled him, that God was trying to get across. Don't boast in yourself, and I'm not going to let you get my glory. But it goes even further. Paul says, and I think this is a, it's, it could be either taken together or a separate issue or a separate situation. Because Paul says he was given a thorn in the flesh, but then look at the next phrase in verse 7. He says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Again, we, we think of it as in the sense of a thorn. It could have been the same thing. It could have been that messenger of Satan that God allowed Satan to use something. Or maybe it was Satan himself that was buffeting him as Job was. Uh, we don't know. It could have been, in a sense, a demonic attack. But again, uh, the, the Weymouth New Testament translates it this way. He says, as for this, three times I have besought the Lord to rid me of him rather than it. And again, I think you could take it both ways. It could be the thorn he's talking about, or it could be Satan himself that he's saying, Lord, please just get him behind me. Get him off of me. Please get rid of him because it's, it's overwhelming. It is, it is too much for me. Well, it'd be easy to talk just about Paul, but you know me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to shift it towards ourselves. Look at yourself. It's time to get personal. Pull out your mirror and look in the mirror and say, why do we then struggle with inadequacy? And yet, it's amazing. As I watch around the, the auditorium, everybody's starting to shift. It's amazing what you see up here. Gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's easy to talk about Paul. Now, I can talk about Paul and all his struggles. Well, yeah, look what he had. No, sure, look at chapter 7, Romans. Mm -hmm. Paul had it tough. But then when we start looking back at ourselves and asking ourselves that same question, why do I struggle with inadequacy? Why am I having a difficult time? I think this is great because we need to. We need to examine ourselves. Well, first and foremost, think about this. We have been, as Paul has been given, we haven't had the revelation that Paul had to go to heaven, but we've been given the word of God. Amen and amen. I'm thankful for that. So without this, I, I don't have a guide. I need this instruction manual. I need insight and wisdom. I need God's guidance. Let me tell you, you know, people, t I, one of the things I ask people a lot of times is how, when they're struggling, are you in God's word? Well, no. No, I talk to God a lot. But in a relationship, it'd be, it'd be like if I'm struggling with something and I just talk to my wife and talk to my wife, talk to my wife, talk to my wife, but I never listen back, a one-sided conversation, and maybe some of you can relate to that. I can as well sometimes. She's like, do you want me to give you anything back or you just want me to listen? Because I can just sit here and listen. But she brings wisdom. and She shares things that I don't see. And many times I think what we've done is the thorn in our flesh, whatever that may be, the struggles, the temptations, the problems, 
We go, God, I need help. I don't know what to do. And he says, I've given it to you long ago. Why are you not looking at the instruction manual? Guys, we're really good at this. We get something for Christmas. You just came through it. You know it. I, think, I don't know if I ever told you about the Connects roller coaster that we got. Did I tell them about that? I don't know. Yeah, it took me eight hours to put it together because I forgot to switch one of the pieces on the loop-de-loop. So it wouldn't work, and it wouldn't work, and it wouldn't work. And so I finally went back and took the instructions out, and I looked at it. I'm like, what is wrong with this? And I had two pieces switched. Switched the two pieces. The, the car went around the loop and did what it was supposed to. Eight hours later. We're a little slow, some of us. A little slow. Well, the great thing about the 21st century is that we have been given everything that we need to live life in godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Here they are. Great and precious promises. Aren't you glad you've got the word of God? That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. See, again, I think Peter understood this. Paul understood this. We have the truth of the word of God. We have everything we need to live life in godliness. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Father-in-law used to say that years ago before he passed. It's true. But for some reason, we fail to go to the manual when we need it the most. Ah, who needs instructions? You do. I do. So why do we struggle with inadequacies? Well, because one, we have the word, but then also, we have it going to it, but as well, we also have thorns. I think we, like I, like Paul, have a lot of thorns that we struggle with daily, let me run through. I think I, I think I put those up there, didn't I? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Here's some of these things that maybe you're struggling with. Um, pride. You know, I wonder sometimes why I, get, I have pains and things, why my back hurt after, after you know, being going so well. And, and the Lord says, you know what? You're proud. Like, really? Yeah, it must be, because I need it. <laughs> my wife's like, yeah, you need it. And of course it hurts, and she's so compassionate and, and helps me. But at the same time, it makes me realize I can't do it on my own. I am not self-sufficient. I need help. It's, it's all you can do to try to get your, pant, your leg up here, to try to put your pants leg on. I need help. I'm inadequate. I'm proud. Because you know when I got it. Fine, sit there on the floor, roll around trying to get your pants on. Good luck. Let me know when you need help. Honey, <laughs> I can't do it. Pride, we're proud. What's next? There's another one. Anger, there's another one. It's like, why do we struggle with anger? Well, because I don't get what I want. Now, what am I willing to do to, to get what I want? Usually it's get angry. It ultimately comes out. Even if you say, well, I control my anger. Yeah, give it time. You'll eventually pop. I've seen it. Worry, oh man, don't even go there. Well, I'm just concerned. That's the spiritual version of worry, is being concerned. Now, there's nothing wrong with being concerned, but when it consumes me, when I, I just, I can't get it out of my head, and people take up residence in my head and they don't even know it, then I'm worrying. I'm worrying. 
Guilt is another one. What are things that we haven't dealt with? Something that I haven't dealt with. Fear, all part of it as well. Worry, fear, guilt, then conflict. When we have difficulties, the problems that stem from these then can be financial problems. They, they lead into issues then in life that we're gonna see in our lives, whether married or not, or with a, whether we have children or not, but these are a natural outflowing. Job problems, if you're struggling with anger or pride and you're having trouble at your job, think about it. Is there any uh, correlation there? Is there any equation? Something wrong. If you're having trouble with your relationship with your spouse or your kids, uh, what's causing those things? Marital problems, again, many times stem from basic issues. Many, many times it stems from basic issues and it has started there, but then it's compounded the problem because we just continue to add fuel to the fire and we haven't dealt with the real issues that started this whole thing. And so when you get back to those things, then you start realizing, wow, God was right all along. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus and my relationship with him. Now, it doesn't mean we're not gonna have problems. It doesn't mean we're not gonna have thorns and difficulties, but we realize that we are inadequate. We can't do it. That's where I struggle, and I have to stop and go, man, I can't do this on my own. I need your help, God. Depression, anxiety, addictions, all of those things that can stem from, again, not being willing to follow what God's word has to say. And I think they could be thorns, whether it's something that Satan is attacking me with or God is using to bring me back to him, to humble me, and to draw me into a closer relationship. I think the majority of these weaknesses stem from an unwillingness to accept our inadequacy, yeah, truly accept our inadequacies. We want to be in control. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to run our own lives. The problem is there's no humility. There's no submission to God. There's no trust. Ultimately, there's no peace. There's only frustrations and, and realizing that our lives are falling apart because I am trying to do it on my own. So how did Paul respond? Let's look at verses nine and 10. I wanna jump down to the middle of verse nine. In the first part of 10, he says, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Paul boasted in his weaknesses. He recognized his infirmities that he called them. Again, this, this idea of, uh, of weaknesses is illness, sufferings, calamity, frailty. The Greek word there is using these ideas of, of I just can't do it. Whether you just physically, I'm struggling. It's all I can do to get up and get going. Whatever that may be, Paul boasted in those weaknesses. Paul recognized the need to be weak in order to destroy his pride, his arrogance, his self-control, his self-sufficiency. You fill in the blank, whatever it might be. Paul saw his weakness as a strength. In fact, how many of us can say this in verse 10? He says, therefore I... What's, what's your version say? Therefore, I do what? Delight. Mine says take pleasure. What else do we have? What other versions? What is it? Oh, man. I'm not even gonna use that one. 
that, that's just bad. She said, I'm content. How many of you delight or are content or take pleasures or whatever other version that you have in your weaknesses? Yeah, hands going up all over the auditorium this morning. Thousands are coming. No, usually we don't do that. What's the first thing we usually do? There we go, there we go. Yes, the magic word, we don't want to admit it, but we are grumbling, stupid back. I don't know what's wrong with this. Why are you doing this to me? And we blame God, and maybe he did bring it about. He has his hand in everything. But why did he bring it about? For me to grumble and complain? Well, sadly, that's many times the answer I usually have, like, oh. I, yeah, and then I have to go and confess and say, God, you're right, I, I, I needed that. I needed that. But Paul took pleasure in his infirmities. He delighted. He was content. You know, I'll be honest with you. I have a real hard time being content with, with pain. I don't do pain very well. Again, ask my wife, she knows. She's the one that had the kids. If we'd have, man, if we'd have had kids, there'd be, with the, the popular, we'd be done. Yeah, that's right. You got, you know it. I had one guy describing having a baby is like pulling your lip up over your head. I, I just can't even imagine watching what my wife, or, or she goes to the dentist and gets cavities filled and it's like, no, nah, I don't need any of the pain stuff. And I'm like, she's a rock star. She's Wonder Woman and Superwoman and everything all put together because they, I, I, I told them, I once went and I said, you know what? I said, I'm, I'm, my wife doesn't get Novocaine or whatever. I'm, I'm going to try. He goes, okay. <laughs> I think he was smirking when he turned his head to get the tool. He came back around and he started in that. And I went, oh, wait a minute. He goes, I haven't even touched you. And I went, that's okay. Let's change. I'm, uh-uh. Now give me, give me the stuff. Give me the stuff. Give me the goofy gas, or just give me the gas. I'm already goofy. Uh, yeah. So we have to ask ourselves, really, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to our weaknesses and our struggles, are we, are we, truly, are we truly thankful? Do we boast in our weaknesses? This is a big one. I mean, you think about it. Am I thankful for the struggles that come? Yeah, I'm not always there. And I gotta confess it. I gotta deal with it. Sometimes on a moment by moment basis. Do we trust God in all circumstances or do we doubt his work? When God allows things to take place. If you were in Job's shoes, I mean, how many of us every morning go up, wake up in the morning and say, Lord, have you considered your servant Kirk? Here I am. Now, and Job didn't wake up one morning and go, God, I'm ready. Bring it on. He didn't even know what hit him when it happened, according to the text. But out of the blue, God allowed Satan to tear him apart, all but death. But Job struggled and wrestled and tried to figure out what was going on and questioned God, even to the point you know, where God says, were you the one? And from 30, I think it's chapter 38, 38, 39, for about two or three chapters there, God goes through 
just one after another. Were you the one who created the world? Were you the one that put the place in it? Were you the, uh, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Naked he brought me in, naked he'll take me out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think really acknowledging our weaknesses not only draws a person closer to God, it draws us closer to others as well. You know, a church that goes through struggles, we can either implode or really draw closer to one another. It's easy. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's easy to, to, to pull, out, pull back, to isolate. I know. I know some of you are going through things. I'm with you. Because it's easy to just go, you know what? I'll just, I got it. I'll handle it myself. Again, self-sufficiency. We try to handle it ourselves. That's not the way God designed the body. The body is here to help. Weakness is the great leveler. All of us are going to go through it. All of us are going to die unless Christ comes back. Y'all know that? Y'all realize that? You young people down here, you guys, I know you think that you're going to live forever. Trust me, I was there for at one time. Jake, your, your leg, it will heal. You'll be back. By the time you get married, you'll be able to run and jump and play and everything again. So you're good. You're good. Broke my hand in seventh grade. I was good. I'm still great. But you feel like you're invincible. Even when you're 55 at times, I feel like I'm invincible. Ah, things are great. And then all of a sudden, eh, what happened? But I think really the pain of, this, of defeat and the, and the gnawing ache of insecurity reminds us over and over again as a body of believers that we need Jesus Christ. We need a Savior, and we need one another. And I think Paul realized that. One commentator wrote this, the Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. Our strength is often his rival, our weakness, his servant, drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. God's way is not to take his children out of trial, but to give them strength to bear up against it or under it. John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he said, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. James chapter 1 Again, I, when I start into James, I say, okay, Lord, help me. Because th- right out of the gate, James says, count it all joy, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. Are you content? Do you count it all joy? Do you take pleasure? Do you delight in the struggles that you have? I have a hard time there. But I realize Ultimately, I am totally inadequate in and of myself. I want to close with some thoughts from a book that uh, some of you are familiar with, uh, Jesus Calling. Sarah Young wrote this book, and it's very personal. It's as if Jesus is talking to you. And it was interesting a few weeks back, several weeks back, I had gone through this devotional, and it was right after that that Josh came and said, would you be willing to to cover for me while I'm gone. And uh, I said, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because this passage was it. It was like, if I ever get to preach again, this is what, I'm gonna hit this. And, it, and this is what, 
was written in there. And this week and next week, this paradox of power, and we'll see the, the back end of this, it made sense. And I think, and I'm sure it makes sense to you today. Listen to what Sarah wrote as if Jesus is speaking to you. When some basic need is lacking, time, energy, money, consider yourself blessed. Your very lack, in other words, your inadequacy, is an opportunity to latch onto me in unashamed dependence. When you begin a day with inadequate resources, you must concentrate your efforts on the present moment. This is where you are meant to live, in the present. It is the place where I always await you. Awareness of your inadequacy is a rich blessing, training you to rely wholeheartedly on me. The truth is that self-sufficiency is a myth perpetuated by pride and temporary success. Health and wealth can disappear instantly, as can life itself. Rejoice in your insufficiency, because next week, as she concludes, knowing that my power matures in weakness. Maybe you're feeling today that you're inadequate. This is a good place, then, to really start to understand the paradox of power, because as we see our inadequacy this week, realize how much I have to do, how far I have to go, how close I have to draw to the Lord. The, more I, the draw, closer I draw to him, the more I realize how far away I really am. It helps me to realize that in my weakness, then I am strong. We'll talk more about that next week in being how we are totally adequate, even though we're totally inadequate. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for hearts today as we have listened to your word, Lord, as you've guided me through your spirit. Lord, take the words and the, the truth of the word of God that Paul shared and the weakness that he demonstrated, yet his praise, his satisfaction, his delight, his taking pleasure in inadequacies, in his weakness, in his infirmities. Lord, as Americans, we don't like to do that. We want everything smooth. We want everything fine. We want everything healthy. We want everything gone, all the pain. God, it's interesting that that paradox is in that weakness Then you make us stronger. You grow us in you. You strengthen us because we then are totally dependent upon you. Father, go before us this week. Help us to realize and to see our weaknesses, to see our inadequacy, and to realize that on our own, we were pretty much hopeless. Help us to see the world in your eyes this week. Father, and as we come back next week and we wrap up this two-week study, help us to know that you are everything that there is. It's all about you. Thank you, Father for going before us, for helping us in our weakness. Until the day we get there to be with you and all of this is behind us, help us to press on, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name.